0: Welcome to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast for our latest episode of Maritime in Minutes. You're listening to Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News, and Gary Howard, Europe editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. Maritime in Minutes is our monthly podcast where we pick out some of the most topical news stories from the world of maritime on Sea Trade Maritime News. And today we're covering May 2023. It's been a busy month, and we've been in Dubai and Malaysia, as well as our normal home bases of UK and Singapore. I'll be handing over to Gary to kick us off, who is not virtually sat next to me, as would usually be the case for Maritime In Minutes, but I'll let him explain.
1: Right, Okay. so I'm talking to you from the past, as I've had the gall to go on holiday in late May, but due to my unwavering commitment to the Maritime In Minutes podcast, I've picked a few stories from the month so far. First up, I covered a great piece by Reuters, which showed the worrying state of the tanker fleet of Venezuelan oil major PDVSA. Reuters got their hands on a bunch of internal documents from the oil major's transport arm PDV Marina, which said that half of the fleet of 22 tankers needs immediate attention, advising that five be taken out of service and seven go for immediate repairs. Of course the cause of all the troubles there are the sanctions against venezuela which have been in place for well over a decade now and are making routine operations like repairs and even new build orders much more difficult to carry out basically you can't get work done in a yard if you can't pay the yard and i think the document said the last major upkeep was done on the vessels over five years ago now The safety risks of this situation are obvious and immense. PDV Marina said the fleet is at risk of oil spills, sinking, fires, collision or flooding. And just on a personal note, it feels like between this situation and the broader tanker dark fleet, that's in heavy quotation marks there, there's an increasing risk of real maritime catastrophe as the the safety checks that the industry has worked so hard to build over the decades are being sidestepped by vessels that really have some of the greatest potential to cause environmental damage.
0: Thanks, Gary. We'll be returning to the Dark Fleet later in this episode. But for week one, I'm turning my attention to seafarer welfare. With the world having largely returned to normal post the COVID-19 pandemic, it might also be presumed so have the lives of seafarers. But unfortunately, this is not the case, at least in some parts of the world. The latest seafarer happiness index for the first quarter of 2023, showed a drop from 7.69 points out of 10 in the fourth quarter of 2022 to 7.1 points in the first quarter of this year. Access to welfare services and shore leaves were the main problem areas identified. And the shore leave happiness index dropped from 6.76 points in Q4 2022 to 6.23 in the latest report with COVID-19 restrictions still affecting crew members' ability to go ashore. China and Saudi Arabia were noted as regions where full access to shore leave has yet to be reinstated after the pandemic. So clearly there is some way to go before everything is back to normal.
1: In week two, Paul Bartlett covered a Clarkson's analysis which compared second-hand ship prices with yard prices. There are some very interesting figures in the piece across the tanker, container and dry bulk sectors, but I won't quote more because that would be dull. The overall theme is that second-hand ship prices are really quite high compared to new build prices at the moment. Contributing to this, of course, is a global lack of yard space and some fundamental shifts in many market patterns still not that far out from Covid. There's the war in Ukraine and global economic concerns, everything else that the world is going through at the moment. Clarkson said the prices reflected strong sentiment in many shipping sectors.
0: For the second week of the month, I'm returning to the dark fleet that Gary mentioned in week one. The fatal explosion on board the Gambon-registered Afromax Pablo off the coast of Malaysia stoked fears of a major catastrophe from aging tankers carrying sanctioned oil in secret. Ownership of the Pablo was murky to say the least with multiple changes in flag and ownership the most recent just weeks before the explosion on fire which left three crew missing presumed dead. The incident prompted renowned commentator and sea SeaTrain Maritime News columnist Michael Gray to write about the creeping anarchy in the world's oceans. Michael writes, what is particularly worrying is the speed at which This deterioration has arisen, and it's a threat to a well-run system that gave reasonable confidence to industry players and the regulatory regime. Is there any will to stop this creeping anarchy? Or is it all lost in tedious legal arguments about sovereignty and the freedom of the seas? It was our most read story in May, and if you haven't read Michael's commentary already, head on over to seatrade-maritime.com to get the full story. A link to it will be in the show notes for this episode. If you're enjoying the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on the app of your choice.
1: Week three for me was a trip to Dubai, a few picks from Sea Trade Maritime Logistics Middle East, which was held at the Dubai World Trade Center from May 16 to 18. It was a pleasure to be back in Dubai, really, and catch up with some of the industry colleagues that I've not met face-to-face in too many years. I'll skim over a bunch of stories here and we'll link to the event landing page in the show notes where you can have a dig through and find what interests you. But in rough chronological order, we had some decent keynotes which covered changes in local legislation and really ramped up the pressure on international regulators. The need for regulatory certainty was a strong theme throughout the whole show and I expect that will only increase in the run up to mepc 80 Low latency connectivity made for an interesting discussion, with one ship operator singing the praises of low-Earth orbit satellite LEO connections for the disruption they'd brought to the maritime communications space. It's going to be interesting to see the response from the established satellite players in that area. InMarsat was on the stage, and it felt like perhaps they didn't have all the answers that they needed for some of the questions it was raising. The show landed on International Day for Women in Maritime, and this was highlighted both in our agenda and an invite-only roundtable as part of UAE Maritime Week that I was cleared to sit in on. Some distinguished speakers from across the Middle East, and indeed the world, shared their experiences and thoughts on how the industry can better invest in women, the steps women can take to make the most of opportunities on offer in the sector, and there were some discussions as well of the age-old problem of the maritime industry's visibility and image problem and how we can overcome that to engage more young women to come into the industry and pursue a career here. Last but certainly not least was a series of sessions covering the Middle East offshore market which made for some excellent panels. I haven't seen offshore vessel owners and operators in a good mood for some time so it was great to get the lowdown on what's driving the increase in vessel demand, how sustainable that will be over the coming years and there was even the risk of project delays brought up due to a lack of ships in the region which just seems mad to me, it felt such a long way from the years where all we really heard from the offshore sector was another round of vessels being laid up. But check out the landing page. There are plenty more stories on there
0: from Sea Trade Maritime Logistics Middle East. As Gary had lots to say in week three, I'm going to focus on a relatively short story involving MSC and its rapid growth as a dominant player in container shipping in terms of size. In its weekly report, analyst Alpha Liner highlighted that by the end of May, MSC would become the first container line to pass the 5 million TEU in capacity threshold. The 5 million TEU slot capacity barrier was expected to be passed with the delivery of two new buildings from yards in China towards the end of May. Putting the size and growth of MSC's fleet in perspective, at 5 million TEUs in capacity, it would be roughly equal to the entire global container shipping fleet at the turn of the millennium. Looking ahead, An alpha liner said that the 6 million TU in slot capacity looms for MSC by mid-2024, as large numbers of new buildings continue to be delivered into its fleet. As Gary is now off on his holidays, lucky man, I'm handling week four all on my own. For myself, the week was dominated by attending the Langkawi International Maritime and Aerospace Exhibition, better known as Lima, in Malaysia. This all round proved to be a somewhat different experience, as while Malaysia's Ministry of Transport is now a co organiser of the show, it remains very heavily defence orientated. Langkawi, as many will know, is also a resort island, making it a somewhat unusual venue for a large trade event. It proved to be a good opportunity to catch up on some of the developments in the Malaysian market, which I haven't covered on the ground for a number of years and catch up with old friends. Of particular interest were plans for a mega container terminal on Kerry Island in Port Klang, which have gained renewed impetus under the current government. And the project was highlighted by the transport minister, Lok Siu Phuk, in his speech in the opening reception. Port Carey is a proposed 30 million to EU capacity greenfield development. Speaking with Port Klang Authority General Manager K. Supermanium, he said a feasibility study into the terminal ticked 90% of the boxes. He described it as a game changer that would be a truly digital, smart and green port. Works would likely start in 2025, with full development taking through to 2055. It's a massive undertaking but Malaysia has a track record of building mega projects, including in the port sector. Port Klang itself is the world's 12th largest container port, while the port of Tanjung Palapas, neighboring Singapore sits in 15th. We also managed to catch up with MISC's ship management arm, Eagle Star. Eagle Star has been a pioneer in operating large LNG fuel crude oil tankers. And CEO Peter Liu had some interesting perspectives to offer. The biggest hurdle he sees to alternative fuel adoption today is not technological or operational, but simply the cost of greener fuels versus conventional ones, and he believes a leveling of the playing field is essential. Away from Lima, we had a couple of top-level ship management interviews that were well worth a read. The 22nd of May saw completion of the OSM Tome Merger, and Finn Amund Norby, CEO of the newly branded OSM Tome, talked with us about transforming the two companies into a truly merged enterprise. I also caught up with Roynan Alquist, who has taken up the helm at Barber Ship Management, which is spearheading Wilhelmsen's ship management's move back into tankers. Alquist discussed how he plans to carve out a niche in the tanker market with the revitalized historic Barber brand. Links to both these stories and all the others in this podcast will be in the show notes, so make sure you check these out or just head over to seatrade maritimecom to read these and all the latest maritime news. And that's all we have time for in this latest episode of Maritime in Minutes. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe on the app of your choice to never miss an episode. Until the next episode of the Trade Maritime podcast, stay safe.